Hello, this is Dan Munner, and this is the Montesano School District Podcast. Today is Thursday, January 31st, and this is episode number nine. Feel free to subscribe in order to stay up to date with the goings-on around the district. We'll be holding brief interviews with staff, students, and community members to discuss topics that may be of interest. Today's guests are WIAA Executive Director Mike Colbreeze and Montesano Junior Senior High Athletic Director Tim Trimble. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's Thank a you pleasure for, to be here. Thanks for driving down. I hope the trip wasn't too bad. It was great. I grabbed a latte and, a, and just had a wonderful drive. It always is, isn't it? And Tim, you're back. I am back. Good to have you back. Grateful to be back. <laughs> um, and also, I'd like to welcome Mike. Um, really, really, really uh, excited to have you here today, Mike. And I'm, you, you might, uh, he may have told you this, but you know, Tim and I have a, a kind of a different connection than I have with any other athletic director in this state. His wife is family is from my hometown back in eastern Montana. So, so and I, in fact, I used to, my dad ran a gas station back there, and I remember servicing his car when he would come into my dad's gas station. So what's the name of that town? Glendive, Montana. Glendive, Montana. Dawson County Red Devils. I could sing the fight yeah. song, but I'm sure that would end the podcast real quickly. And that was the uh, Barkham at Jewelers, in case you're wanting to, yeah. <laughs> Just getting a little plug in there, Yeah, looking for a sponsorship. Yeah. So uh, this is your 26th year as the executive director of the WIAA uh, and retiring this year, so congratulations on that. Thank you. I will say we're going to miss having you lead the association. Uh, you were in Wyoming before that. Correct. And uh, came to Washington and... I've got one question for you, actually multiple, but this is the one that's really been pressing. So when I was a kid going to state tournaments with my dad, the WIA people had on green sport coats. At some point, probably longer ago than I recognized, it went to navy blue. What's the reason for that? Well, the board had been discussing it for a number of years. In fact, I was going to wear a tie to the winter meeting the other day that had several shades of green in it because there were, at my understanding, it over the course of the years before I got here, there had been several different shades of green. But uh, the board kind of got the belief of the, and the feeling that when they were at state tournaments, the green jackets kind of stood out, and they didn't want to feel like they were, in a sense, separate or different um, than everybody else. Uh, they felt that in in some ways it kept people from just talking to them and visiting with them. So they felt that blue was a lot more welcoming, and that's why they went with it. No offense, but I kind of feel like maroon and gray would have been better. Uh, that's probably true. <laughs> well, you know, and being a Montana Grizzly, uh, it I, would have fit right I, in. I kind of Although you were, when you were there, it was the old copper and gold probably, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it kind of went through that phase for a while where it went to that. It was kind of a bad color well so you kind of miss that i consider more of a traditional look but those uh green jackets have you got any laying around i'm 46 long (laughs) we do (laughs) yeah we do it's like a green jacket at augusta that's a polite way of saying nobody wanted those when (laughs) when they were done wearing they're still a closet yeah (laughs) so when you look back over your 26 years what are one or two things that you are most proud of that the association has accomplished under your guidance? I, 
I remember the interview back in the spring of 93. And, and one of the comments that I got from the board was, we want to make sure that the membership knows that this is their association. And we want you to be out and making sure that people understand who you are and that you're listening and that it is their association. It doesn't belong to a select group or to the executive board or, or to the rep assembly members. It belongs to the schools. So I think I've really worked hard to try to make that happen. When I came here, there was a real strong east-west uh, in the association, and there still a little, is a little bit of that, but I think that's dissipated. Um, the other thing that I was told is, you know, we think you have a good staff, but we don't know. Uh, we'd like to learn a little bit more about them. We'd like to know that they're involved. So I've really, in a sense, compartmentalized uh, to make sure that the experts who are in charge of the sports and the activities, who are my staff, get the chance to speak and to, to drive their own and to obviously get everything approved by the executive board. So that's kind of the internal thing that people might not see and might not have seen. Uh, the external, you know, we, we are known um, for getting a few things on the front end issues like concussion, um, transgender issues, classification. When I came here, I remember uh, the district director from this area was a guy named Dick Grabenhorse, who had been a longtime administrator from NASL. In fact, his son Scott's just down mm -hmm. the road at, at Tootle. Um, and uh, at that time, there were four classifications. And people kept saying, gosh, why do we have four classifications? And why are they 150, 400, and 1,000? Well, we start having those discussions, and Dick was very instrumental in making sure that we were having a real deep discussion. So I, I think the other part that people, I think, understand is that I listen and that um, I take that stuff back to the board. I think the downside is that people think I make a lot of decisions that I don't make, that only the executive board or rep assembly can make. Uh, but I listen. And, and I'm known for remembering people and remembering their names and people think, well, that's really a great gift. Well, it's, it's not just a gift. It is. But it's, it's, it's there for a reason. I remember people's names. I remember your dad, your mom, uh, because... They'll appreciate I, that little plug. They'll be listening. Yeah. Doyle and Ann. <laughs> yeah. Because I value people. And, and, I, and I just... I care about people, um, and I don't remember names because I have a trick to do it. I remember names because I care and because I value what they have to say. Well, I think that that's, that's been evident in, over the years that, that I've been involved in this job and uh, just seeing you at different places, whether it's at state tournaments or at the WASDA conference, so I think that that's the truth. So along those same lines, Mike, what are things that you have seen over these last uh, 26 years that have changed, that have been, where, where, was it uh, students or athletes or activities? What have, you, what have you noticed or what's the biggest thing that you, saw, you have seen that's changed? I, I think um, the association does a really good job of of addressing the concerns of the membership. 
of the association, all the schools in the state. But the stakeholders have changed. And I shouldn't say changed. They've, it's a broader group now. When I got involved as, a, as an assistant in Montana in 1982, and people can make all the jokes they want to about Montana, <laughs> especially in 1982, um, we didn't even have a fax machine at the, at the association office. And it wasn't because we were just in Montana. It's because nobody did. I mean, fax machines in 82. Now we've got email. So the, the readiness or the availability of information, whether it's accurate or not, is there. I think parental involvement. You know, back in the day, even when I first moved here, I didn't, we didn't get information from parents or we didn't get phone calls or we got a letter once in a while, handwritten. Now we get emails from parents. In fact, uh, a few months ago, I sat down with my staff and because and, we keep a log of all of our calls, who calls, what their question was, and what our answer was. And I said, just give me a rough estimate about how many of the communications you get in one day, emails, phone calls, texts, whatever, are from parents. It's 35%. Well, and we appreciate input from parents and, and even grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you figure that you've gone from serving the membership 100% of your time down to 65% of your time, and the fact that our ownership and our, and our membership is really the schools, that has changed. There's more, I think the, the litigious issue has morphed a little bit. It's not as uh, as preponderant as it was for a while. I think things have kind of settled down there. But what's happened is it slipped. It slipped to the legislative side uh, because we've been dealing with issues that state legislators have. Because a lot of times people don't have the money to afford a lawyer, but they can call a legislator. And of course, a legislator has constituents that they want to make sure they're honoring. And uh, and sometimes uh, legislators. Uh, struggle with finding out what the real issues are, and they'll just make a decision based upon information from their constituent. So that has really changed. I, I, I can see that. The technology is just baffling, isn't it? Uh, we're in the reflection part of this conversation, so I want to ask you if there's anything you'd like to take a mulligan on. Is there anything that if you could redo, you would redo? Ooh. Yeah, I call, I call it, when I, when I interview uh, a staff member, they've already gone through three, uh, well, two preliminary screenings, and I always include the board and a member of the state ADs association and maybe a superintendent's association person. And so by the time the, that person sits down with me, I ask him the same thing. When you look back on all those questions mm-hmm. that you got and answered, which one would you rather uh, do over again? You know, um, I, I, I think, and I got to be careful because we're still in a lawsuit with a, with a couple families mm-hmm. on the Bellevue situation. I think I would have tried to have been more forceful with pushing people to look at what was going on with Bellevue rather than hoping that something would just open up. Mm-hmm. Because as an association, we don't have the ability nor the resources just to go out and say, hey, we don't think you're doing something right. And so we're going to investigate you. We don't have, that's not the process. And, and, uh, and we don't have the time nor the resources 
to ground every rumor that's out there. So when I look back, I, 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 I wish that the association had the resources and that, that I would have been more forceful to force some things uh, uh, so we would have been able to get to the bottom of things earlier with Bellevue. Well, that's a uh, great one. I have a couple other ones if you'd like to. I'd love those. to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is a this is essentially yeah. the time for. I think if if it was me and I were you, I I think we we uh, could really did a better job of selling that the, our tournament changes. I think we, uh, you know, I just think we could have made a better. I say we because I feel like I was part of that. Uh, changeover, and I think we just could have did a way better job of of making it a, a staff, school, state decision rather than kind of how it kind of came out. And I think you guys took a ton of heat for it, and we could have we could have did a way better job. So that's, that's yeah, just my no, I own think that's opinion. a really good point, yeah. Tim. There's no doubt about that. I mean, and the board talked about that. Okay, we're. You know, back in that, at that time, and of course we're still mm, only in our right. first ever four-year classification right. cycle, but we do we get locked into doing things in a two-year cycle. Mm. Well, we were heading into a brand new cycle, and the board said we can't continue to see basketball revenue decline because over, in those 13 years we'd had revenue decline by 33%. Exactly. We had to do something. Um, and there was a, a WI district that provided us feedback saying let's wait a year, and the board said, well, then we'd be in another cycle, so that's two years. Um, you're right, and, and uh, we did take a lot of flack for that, and uh, some staff members took some real hard personal hits, uh, and it got ugly. Um, but it, was the decision the right decision? I think it was, but you're right. We could have done a better job of, of front-loading it. Mm -hmm. and. So the thing that we should have done is actually had the discussion at the beginning of the two-year cycle so that we could have phased it in and not jumped into it so quick. I, yeah, I just think we should have did it. We should have did a better job of presenting it to the public. So that sort of leads us into one of the reasons that uh, you came down is to talk about the amendments that were passed the other day and those deal with classification. And so let's jump into that and let's start with Amendment one. Um, that's a fairly straightforward one. It, it alters the numbers per classification. Have you have you figured out if those numbers per classification are going to be relatively even, or what's your guess on that? You know, um, I'll I'll preface what might be some of the other questions that are come forward. Um, I made the announcement that I was going to retire in uh, November of 2017. So a year and a half, because the board asked for a year and a half uh, lead time. And so I purposely stayed away from, from being too involved in two of the big projects that were going on with subcommittees, classification and a governance committee that's been working, because I didn't want to put my stamp on it. I didn't want people to say, well, Cobras did this or Cobras did that, because it the association, like I said from the beginning, with my charge from the board, it needed to be, people needed to be assured it was membership driven and that I wasn't pushing here or pushing there. Um, but I did sit in on a couple different meetings. What I mentioned earlier what the classification system was when I came here. 
the the old four classifications, those cutoffs had been in place since 1968. And we were unbalanced at that point. You know, the bees had a had 120 schools, and and we were getting more and more schools that were a thousand or more. So then we went to the first doubling, 150, 300, 600, 1200, and the membership said, "Well, we might not have a 16 team tournament if we're a 1A or a 2A school, or we're, we're over 90 or over 100 schools in our classification. We're only going to get 16 teams." So that's when it came to equalizing opportunity to get to postseason play. And that created all kinds of problems because you never knew. Tim could get a call one day and be calling you and say, hey, we just figured out we got, we're now going to be a 1A school because somebody decided to opt up. And we had to equalize the number of schools in each classification. So first of all, I'm glad we're going back to a hard number. I think that's a good move. I'm glad we're doing away with the, uh, the fact that if you opt up, then somebody else has to opt down because it, it was tough on a lot of communities. Uh, and one school deciding to opt up in this, at the beginning of this cycle changed the, the makeup of everything. You asked me what I would rather, what I've really pushed and what I would like to have us, I wish we could do, is realize what this, this state's culture really is. You would have a hard time going to any state and finding where they've got names for leagues. I mean, a few of them do them. But this state is really proud of league involvement. You want, I mean, it's the South Puget Sound League. It's, it's this league. It's that league. But we refuse to recognize that through our processes. We just don't do it. That's number one. The other thing is that I like dogs. We don't address the tail that's wagging the dog. We always we want to take up, talk about classification, but the real issue is you can't get two sentences into a conversation about classifications without saying, well, yeah, but what about how to get to postseason play? So one of the things I'll encourage the board to do as I leave, because I told the board I wanted a couple minutes at each one of the three board meetings I'm going to be around for, to give me a couple minutes just to say, I would encourage you to have a conversation about postseason access, equitable postseason access, because that's what it's really about. When you break it down, it's league involvement and it's equitable postseason access. And I know Tim heard this the other day. I haven't heard this for a long time. I'm not even sure heard it from this angle. Is there are people saying, well, you know, District 9 only has 12 schools, but they get one vote on the executive board. Some of us have 55 schools in our WI district, and we only get one vote. That's kind of true because in some cases uh, the West Side districts have two reps. So that, those are things that are going to come forward on this thing, I think. So, but one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, is the, the numbers will dictate the, the number of schools in each classification will dictate the number of state allocations or the size of the state tournament. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Because the board has, a pol- has developed a policy that says if you get, you know, X number of schools in your classification, you might get more than 16. But do you see that as that's going to happen? Or is it going to end up where each classification is going to be fairly close to the same number? Or are we going to see a 20-team basketball tournament in one classification and an eight in another? I think there's a possibility that you could. Um, there's some concern about how do you do that. And uh, it's like the board and staff are saying, you know, we got a lot of bright people around the room and around the room by around the state. 
and we'll figure it out. The one issue we've got to be a little bit more sensitive to is probably football. It might be more difficult to put more teams into postseason play um, than currently allowed, but we've also got two classifications that, in a sense, have a 32-team playoff in football because of the way they, they back in those teams in the first couple rounds. So I think it can get figured out. Um, and the one you always hear about <clears throat> is uh, basketball. Yeah. And, you know, when I was in high school back in the 80s, we had an eight-team tournament and a regional setup, and it worked out just fine and then went to the 16-team. And once you go there, it's hard to go back. And mm-hmm. uh, that's the one that we hear all the time about, you know, why don't we have a 16-team tournament anymore? You know, and, 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 and I'll tell you, uh, to, some, to some extent, I'll do my best to tell you when I'm it's Colby's 101, <laughs> and I'm going to step into Colby's 101 right now. And I did a little while ago, too, with this, you know, league uh, alignment and, and all that uh, discussion about postseason access. But, you know, it, in my mind, we spend a lot of time talking about postseason access. But when you think about it, even if we're down to 65 teams in a classification, which is where we've been, and you figure 16 teams or 16 individuals go on to state, that's a, that's a minuscule amount of kids who are going to be involved in postseason play. And that's yet our goal, just like scoring well on your, on your exams is important. But we spend so much time talking about what is like the goal, so to speak, for uh, the association, we forget about the value of simply being able to participate and have school programs. And, uh, and I would hope that we get back to that conversation because that's vital. And I think, as you know, as a superintendent, with funding going the way it is, there's a concern about what, what might happen if some of this funding issues do, uh, don't change regarding levy structure and things like that. Well, I would add, too, about the 16-team tournament. That's easy to say. I, you know, we would just love to have a 16-team tournament, blah, blah, blah. But uh, people forget that there's six classifications, that there's boys and there's girls, and there's facilities issues. And you can't just put the boys in the Heck Ed Pavilion and put the girls in some high school that's uh, downtown Seattle. I mean, everybody should recognize that we have facilities that have to be quality and yet equal and they're not there it's not just say hey we want to hold a game at the university of washington university of washington has to say it's okay well and that's a really good point tim because when we were having all these discussions in the height of the emotional issue of 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 restructuring the 16 team tournament but well why don't you just find other facilities there aren't there really aren't and people say well why don't you cut your staff you know you're spending all this money on staff well that's not really true Mm -hmm. uh first of all we have a We've had the smallest staff for the number of activities and the number of schools of any state association in the country, and we've got fewer staff now than we had when I got hired because of the budget issues. So where I'm going is that the only way next to talk about budget for the association is to look at the structure of state tournaments Mm -hmm. and, you know, do we really need a Tacoma Dome? Well, you need them on Friday and Saturday night, probably. Do we need the Tacoma Dome for football? Well, probably only for the 4A ball game. Uh, and now with the redesigning of the interior of the dome, 
we're taking a real serious look, the, the board and staff, about do we really, you know, we're in a contract here with the Dome. Do we want to sign another contract to keep the finals in the Dome? Everybody likes being in there, um, but we know the sight lines were severely compromised by this latest change. So, so when, you, when you sign a contract with, I'm assuming, the city of Tacoma, is that a multi-year yeah, typically what those are are three-year contracts, okay. and uh, they're negotiated. Sometimes they're five years. It just depends on, on where the association is at that point and what the facilities, and as you said, the city of Tacoma or the PUD over in Spokane or the Acoma Fairgrounds. depends on what their typical cycle is as well. But the other part of that, which we talked about before we got started, was that, that attendance is on the decline and has been for a number of years. So now you're battling the cost of the facility and less revenue coming in from the tournament. And, and, and so I'm going to try to, I'll do my best to try to draw some, some entanglements, <laughs> okay? Why is, why is attendance declining? Now, I think there are a lot of different reasons. We can talk about all the different things that, you know, you asked what has mm. changed. Well, I think student involvement in postseason the fans has, has dramatically declined. Um, academic performance in our schools has become a real big issue. Not that it shouldn't be because it always should be number one. Um, but the other thing that's really changing, and that's that Second Amendment that we haven't talked about yet, and that's the use of free and reduced lunch count uh, as a way to, to maybe change your classification, is competitive balance. Because even when we went to the eight-team tournament, which was the first iteration after we got rid of the 16, we were seeing 40-point running clock ball games at state tournaments. So there's this have and have not thing that's really concerning, regardless of the classification, whether it's 3A, 4A, whether it's public or private. There's this have and have not issue that's also playing. And on that side is the fact that people don't want to go to a ball game if they think it's going to be a blowout. Um, and kids don't want to participate if they think it's going to be a blowout. And kids don't want to watch it. So those are some of the things that are going to have to unravel. And, and I'm thankful uh, uh, Scott Chamberlain, who is a District 4 rep on the W Executive Board, uh, just across the freeway over here, uh, is going to be the board uh, member who's going to chair a discussion about what do we do to increase revenue and look at tournament structure to drive down the overhead. So that's a good uh, segue right into that uh, second amendment that was passed the other day, Mike. Uh, to me, it's sort of groundbreaking, and I'm sure other states have some something that's similar. But for us in Washington, it's it is a, I think a move that maybe is long overdue. And and so if you would talk about that, the but I also think that that's probably the most confusing, on paper, until you really get into it, and then then it starts to make sense. Well, and I think, too, what happened was there were two amendments to it on the floor that day that people might not be aware of yet um, mm -hmm. if they didn't read the press releases really well. And I thought, you know, we'd, we've done a, uh, some work with the, the newspapers to help them understand how it works, and most of them did a pretty decent job of, of describing it. Um, but, again, let me back. There are a couple different states that are putting into action what we've been talking about for years and years, and that's competitive balance, the haves and the have-nots. 
And the haves and have-nots, obviously, are driven by socioeconomic issues. It drives participation. It drives competitiveness. And there are studies uh, on that, that that validate that it does have a direct correlation on participation numbers and success. So there are some states that have developed formulas on competitive balance, and what they'll do is look at the history of a school's program, like in football. Well, you've been really successful, so we're going to bump you up, or you have not won a ball game in the next number of years. We're going to move you down in classification. Well, that may work in other states, but in Washington, we're a little bit different than other states in the fact that, number one, schools set their own leagues. The state association doesn't do that like it does in other states, number one. And number two is the fact that, again, because of that league importance, people don't want to be in one classification for one sport and another for another sport, or one, even if they were in the same classification, a different league for one sport than another. so though, that's the kind of backdrop, the cultural backdrop that we need to pay homage to. So the best way to address the competitive balance was to back out those numbers of free and reduced. That was the only way to at least to have to start that discussion. Um, so every time the statewide average of free and reduced in our public schools is 43%. And that's district-wide, not, we're not just talking high schools, correct? Right. So the... the Excuse me, Mike, but will that change uh, yearly? Will that 43% become 42% or are we just going to stick to the 43%? I think think it'll be looked at, Tim, at each cycle because now remember, Mm -hmm. we're just wrapping up a four-year cycle and that's why the membership needed to vote this past Monday because we needed to start to get those numbers in place Mm -hmm. so leagues could start forming and schedules could happen Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So the statewide average is 43%. So the committee said, let's start with 43% and they had a number of different discussions about different proposals about around that 43%. Where it ended up with, at the end of discussion on Monday, was that for every percent a school is above that, their enrollment, their total enrollment regarding classifications will be, be reduced by that same percentage. That was the first change that was made. So if a school is, let's say, 50% free and reduced, then that's 7% above, so then their total enrollment will be reduced by 7%, and that could adjust their classification. Then they could turn around and say, you know what? Well, we were 2A. This makes us 1A, but we want to stay 2A because of our league affiliation. We're going to opt up and play 2A. So that was my next question. It's not a have to. It's not a have to. The second thing that happened on the floor Monday was that the smaller schools said, we don't want free and reduced to be a part of our classification determination. So the uh, Rep. Assembly members on Monday amended that proposal to exclude 2B and 1B schools from that. Well, part of the reason they did that is the 1Bs are saying, we don't want to have 2Bs bumped down and playing 1Bs because that's a tough that's a tough scale. That's why they didn't like the old 150 cutoff mm-hmm. because they saw communities getting smaller and they didn't think they could compete against student bodies of 140 kids or so when they're 35, 40 kids. 
But what it did is it has the potential of those smaller 1A schools when you can factor in that free and reduced count becoming 2B schools. So the 2B schools have some angst at this point about that. But there's also some, uh, you know, there's a lot of private schools, for mm-hmm. example, yeah. that have smaller numbers in the classification that they're currently in. Those schools are probably not going to change what they do. Their free and reduce is not going to be an issue. Their free and reduce is not going to be an but issue. But they're also not going to say, okay, we're going to look at the numbers now. We're going to drop down. District 4 is a great example. Kingsway and Seton Catholic are 2B numbers, correct, Tim? No, 2B or 1B numbers at some time. And they're going to stay, I'm assuming, at 1A because they're competitive, and it, it, I think it adds to the 1A and District 4. You know, and, and, and obviously that, and I'm glad you brought that up because part of it is the fact that some of the early discussion was, well, let's, let's in a sense, add a percentage to those schools that are below the 43%. And part of that, of course, would have been affluent school districts and private schools. And, um, and then when they realized that the affluent schools and the private schools thought, well, we're making adjustments. A lot of private schools opt up anyway, like you mentioned. They thought, well, well let's just take it out of it. And I don't think we did a real good job of selling that, kind of getting back to your point, right. because the first thing I heard was, well, we can't, that amendment's never going to fly, so we're not going to do that. Well, I... I beg to differ. I, uh, I think really when you look at what that has the potential of doing, it does have the potential of kind of creating a, a, a more level playing field that people believe doesn't exist between public and private schools um, because it does allow public schools to move down in a classification in some situations. And we've, we've uh, oh gosh, I think the last 15 years, we've tracked in team sports the success of private and public schools for state tournaments. And the kind of the barometer is, okay, if, if your classification has 15% private schools in it, then they shouldn't win more than 15% of the state titles. Well, we're in pretty, that's, that's on track. There is maybe the 1As and maybe the 2Bs, there's a little bit of, of a differentiation between the percentage of privates and their number of state championships. But for the others, it's pretty well locked in. Yeah, I did that same thing just a couple months ago because my wife and I had the discussion about the success of private schools, and I said, okay, well, let's look. And it it was surprisingly, there were surprisingly fewer number of private schools winning state championships than she thought for sure, and it sort of depends on the sport, too. It does, and it, and it, it tends more actually in individual sports than in team sports mm-hmm. because they tend to be more successful in golf and tennis and uh, and, and let's face it, when a private school wins, I get a lot more emails and concerns about the differentiation than when a public school wins. Uh, and then you, like you end up with an Eastside Catholic and O'Day in a 3A state football title. Well, the private schools are winning too much. Well, but wait a minute. <laughs> let's look at the other classifications. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, Mike, I've told you this before, and I've had this discussion is, I don't know that we you can, we can sit here and argue that more affluent schools tend to do better. It's just you just have to look. That if you think about it, they just tend to do better. There's always the uh, schools out there that somehow rise from the their situation and put together a team. I we, and our Montesinos philosophy philosophy is 
this is from the athletic director, anyone, any place, any time. And that's how we kind of how we view it is we're going to line up and play and we're going to and if we lose then we're going to learn from that loss and we're going to get better i think and that, we're coming after them next time and that's a so, great that's yeah. a great philosophy tim i, mm-hmm. I mean uh, you mentioned you know that my previous experience in wyoming there was a, 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 a in wyoming it was four classifications the 1a were the smaller schools Can, they would be analogous to our 1b's here cokeville wyoming um, just a really small school, but I tell you what, continually won the state football title and state volleyball. And when they went and played tournaments, they they could have actually been the 4A state champion because they were dedicated. They had a, they had a coach mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who knew how to get kids rallied, and, and they're a fairly isolated, very small community in, in southwestern Wyoming, yet – because of the program, they were successful, and they could have beaten anyone. So it does. There is a little bit of that. And we've got programs like that in, in Washington. Now, um, there are. I would like you to take just a couple minutes for our listening audience uh, to describe how an amendment actually passes. Now, um, I know we all know, or most, but a lot of people don't know. They might think that Mike Colbreeze comes out and says, this is the amendment, and you figure it out. But um, could you just take a minute and describe that? Well, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to discuss that, Tim, because what there are a couple different ways that an amendment gets on the docket for the 53-member rep assembly, which represents all the state, all the schools, all the classifications. But... One is that the executive board can propose an amendment. Typically, if they do, it's coming from committee work, like the Classification and Governance Committee proposals. The most frequent way, uh, because we had um, 10 amendments Mm -hmm. that came this route, is that let's say that Montesano wants to change the rule. So Tim Tremble says, here's the rule I want to change. He has to go to Superintendent Winter and say, I think this is a good rule. I need your support, or would you be willing to sign it? And then he, your superintendent, has to sign it. Typically, that he won't do that without the support of the school board. And then you've got to go out and get four more schools to sign on to support it. Once that done is done, then it goes to the league, of which that school is a member. They can't stop it from coming forward, but they have to decide what their position is on it. And then it goes to the WI district that that league is a member of. They, again, can't stop it from coming forward, but they can take a position on it or make some refinements. And then it comes into our office, has to be in there in a typical year by the middle of January. Mm-hmm. This year we had to to, uh, to move that up because of, we needed the classification amendment decisions. And, uh, and then it's voted on by that 53-member body. And there are... Um, 53 votes for a high school and junior high amendment, but for a high school amendment, there are, are 35, 35 mm-hmm. and we have to have 60% approval, correct? That's correct. So I guess what my point my point in asking that is it, this stuff does, doesn't come out of the air. It is um, well thought out, and many good ideas take a long time to to get adopted just because of the work involved. It, right. it just takes some work. So. And, and what we do, too, Tim, uh, beyond that is that we have a superintendent's advisory group and a school director's advisory group and a principal's advisory group. 
and each one of them takes a position on those amendments, and we let the membership know what those specific state representative groups feel about those things. So let's go back just real quick to this free and reduced equity sure. amendment. Yeah. Has there been any preliminary looking or research into how many schools we think that's going to impact in terms of dropping down a classification? The preliminary discussion has been that it'll probably be somewhere uh, between 25 and 20 schools that would have the potential to change classifications. Which again, the whole league issue is going to become a factor. I know every, every cycle, and I think the four-year cycle made it better because there was less of a scramble less often. Um, but you've, you've got to find a new league if you're going to drop down. If there isn't one in the area, it just increases travel, which just increases your, your costs. Well, I'm glad you brought that up that way because going back to one of, one of Tim's earlier questions, the other thing that's changed dramatically in this state is that when I came in here, the thinking was if you were a double A, a school at that time or a triple A school, you and you wanted to be a member in that league and you might not be of that size school, you were going to opt up and play at the triple A level. What's happened is that over the years, because of being sensitive to travel and school time, leagues have now been willing to be multi-classification leagues. I mean, you go to the northwest part of the state and you've got a, a league that's a 4A, 3A, 2A league. Uh, you, even in eastern Washington, there are multi-classification leagues which address the travel loss of school time issue and they work out some competitive scheduling so the bigger schools don't always play the smaller schools and obviously vice versa. So the, the Seattle Times had an article oh, a month ago probably when these amendments were being discussed and they used Rainier Beach as an example. Uh, and I don't know in the Seattle School District how many, how many different classifications are represented in the Okay, that's what I thought, just one. So those, while Rainier Beach, for example,'s numbers may be small and their socioeconomic level is really low, uh, they're going to stay where they are because that's where the, the teams that they play within the city. Yeah, they've been opting up for quite a while. Uh, they're a 1A size school, mm -hmm. um, but they've been playing 3A. Uh, and, uh, and when the classification system, well, when the classification numbers changed, uh, Roosevelt, Garfield, Ballard, and Franklin were 4A schools initially uh, when, they, when we first went to the five classifications and six classifications, but with the new number, well, the last cycle, they became 3A schools, and those schools that aren't quite 3A size schools in the metro opt up to play 3A so that they can be in and of themselves. Is Cleveland another one of those? Yeah. Yeah, they opt up, yeah. So, uh, Mike, um, this was a little bit unique year because we uh, voted on two amendments early, and there are other amendments out there that will be voted on in April. Do you see anything in that list of amendments other that you uh, can recognize as uh, maybe potential great ideas or uh, poor ideas or well, other things that could happen to us. We know that, that football is different than other sports because football is a numbers issue. Uh, uh, because uh, if, if you don't have big numbers in football, the chances of your younger kids competing against 
veterans, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, is is quite it's it's bothersome. So there is an amendment that would uh, allow schools to opt down in football only, because the rules right now say if you're going to opt up, um, you are going to opt up in all sports, and if you opt down, you're not eligible for postseason play. This amendment would say you can opt down in football and still be eligible for postseason play. And we've been allowing the 2B schools that have a history of, of, of poor success and, and low numbers and, and some economic situations going on in the community to opt down from 2B to 1B and still be eligible for postseason play. So if a school opts down, do they play as an independent or do they join a league? And if they join a league, what is that process like? Does that they automatically go because that's the region or does the league have to accept them in? It's, again, because the league membership is driven by the schools themselves. That's up to that league as to whether or not they let them in. Um, But some schools, we don't, over the years there have been a couple B8 football programs that have played independently and that's about the only place I've ever seen that in this state. Um, But I'm, um, I think maybe the last school to do that was Lyle Wishram. And they're now a member of a league uh, because that's their desire. Obviously, league membership has a huge benefit. Membership has its privileges. Yes, yeah. it does. Yeah. So, uh, you have any more questions about the class amendments, Dan? You got some other things you want to throw out there? <laughs> yeah, I have other things. I one of the things that uh, I don't know. I I look at and I think to myself, if I was Mike Colbreeze, I would do it this way. But um, as you June 30th comes along and you walk out of your office for the last time. Uh, what problems or what issues, challenges, challenges do you see that you that is uh, going to be upcoming uh, for the new guy, the new person, which we now know is uh, Mick Hoffman, um, that you're going to leave on the on your desk for for Mick? Well, um, as way of clarification, <laughs> my contract runs through August. I'm, I, I, I am pretty confident that reins will get turned over to Mick before then mm-hmm. uh, because our fiscal year as an association begins on August 1. Uh, so let's just say we're talking about July 31st. Okay. And that, that because he has a good sense of humor and he likes challenges, he might let me stick around for a while. <laughs> um, at, but that will mm-hmm. be his choice and the board's choice. Um, but um, first of all, what's interesting is we were talking the other day at Winter Coalition when the announcement was made, because uh, the board had made that decision on on, uh, on Sunday. Uh, I'm the only f- person who has been the, in the history of the association. There have been five directors now with Mick. I'm the only one from who isn't from Southwest Washington. All the others had <laughs> Southwest Washington roots. Um, yeah, so there's something going on down here. We that, remember that decision 26 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, fondly, I'm sure. But, uh, uh, you know, the challenges, uh, and Mick and I are having some really good conversations. I've known Mick for a long time. He's a good guy. He's a hard worker. He listens. He's, you know, succinct. He's he's got ideas about different things. He's been on the board. So the board made a really good choice. Um, I think the challenges really, we kind of alluded to them already, funding of the association. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's going to be a challenge uh, because that's directly driven by format for state tournaments and sites for state tournaments. Um, 
I think the other issue is probably we need to have a more direct discussion about public and private schools and where that all fits in. And we need to do a better job of letting them know that private schools aren't really as successful as a mm -hmm. lot of people think they are, like you and your wife found out, Dan. And then I think the other issue is, is really what do we do to improve attendance and, and the buying? Because I, I can't, even though there are people who have issues with the association from time to time, everybody supports school programs. They all understand that. But sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle because we're so worried about talking about access to postseason play. And that's the other challenge. It's, it's, it's going to be about equity an equitable number to represent an equitable number of schools and postseason participation and that governance piece about how many board members should a particular WA district get or how many voters should it get on, on amendments and things like that. Those are going to be the challenges for the next generation. Well, I appreciate that, Mike, because um, I, uh, I look at the future sometimes and I think, oh, boy. Um, but... Um, I think with solid leadership, and I, we've experienced that from you as well, that uh, we can kind of look to the sunny side, basically, not the dark side. So I appreciate that. But I think, too, down the road, I mean, this is obviously about kids and about providing great experiences for kids. And um, there have been, just looking at basketball, for example, once the 16-team tournament went away and the regional format came in, there's been some improvements as the years have gone along. To make it a really special experience for kids which I think is obviously the most important and so those improvements have been appreciated I think by kids by parents by administrators because it it's a meaningful thing to get there you have to work really hard and, and you should be rewarded with that kind of experience so I think that's been a great improvement yeah I appreciate that but it, you know it's a lot of people with a lot of input and people realize you know there is an avenue it, like your community know that you are good spokespersons and, and they need to come through you because you your board makes the decision to join the association and that's your avenue, that's your voice, and that's the conduit. Uh, and uh, if I were to encourage anything, it would be to make sure that your community understands that you are the voice and you have input. I mean, especially with Tim's position. And Dan, you're, I know you're a very well-respected superintendent, not only in this area, but in the rest of the state. Uh, in fact, it seems like people don't know if you're here or in Clarkston from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's about representation, but the bottom line is it's about kids. If we're not talking about kids, then we're missing the boat. So the joke there is my brother is the superintendent in Clarkston, just so people Your don't think I have two twin jobs. Brother. Twin brother. Twin brother, I yes. Actually, kind of expect a phone call from him for a phone-in question. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't do it. Um, real quick... We didn't touch on RPI, but I think as I'm talking about that the basketball thing, the RPI system in basketball has is really, in my opinion, and I people could disagree, but I think it really works well. It sets up really good matchups, and it takes away those regional games of what are really the top two teams in the state. How is RPI going to change for other sports in the coming years? Well, first of all, let me go. Um, the RPI system is in place because people could no longer understand or uh, appreciate or respect the old draw criteria. Typically, when somebody had questions about it or challenged it, there was such an emotional value attached to it because they saw where their team was going to be on the bracket. 
that they couldn't understand the rationale, even though the criteria is pretty succinct for the most part. So RPI, as far as other sports are concerned, we know other coaches are talking about it, other coaches associations, because that's where we're getting uh, that input. And we actually have an RPI committee that has every sport represented on it, ADs and coaches. Um, the football coaches didn't want to go to it. That's why they went to a, a committee, a selection committee, uh, to determine who's going to be in postseason play, or not who to, but with those top yeah. teams coming out of their districts, how they would be seated. Um, I, I suspect volleyball is having converse, conversations. I know that. Um, but I think time will tell. I still think there's some concerns about RPI, and I appreciate your saying that you support it. But I know people are concerned about the actual criteria, and they're concerned about, well, could RPI impact league determinations or who we play non-league games and things like that. So I, I would suspect we probably won't have that discussion until we're another year down the road and so, go into a new cycle. So I will say when you look at RPI for basketball, there's some confusing things where you have teams that have losing records that are in front of you. But I think that the end result, when you get down to those 16 teams that are participating, it's pretty accurate in terms of the matchups. I think that works. Yeah. I thought the football, you know, we got into an 8-9 situation, which is a toss-up. Oh, uh, yeah, that is. And um, there's nothing you can do about that. But I, I think that has potential to work. Tim and I are convinced that we could travel around the state and be the the RPI people for all sports. <laughs> Uh, I'll see if I can sell that. <laughs> see if we can get that one through, Mike, before you leave. Um, I, I, just my opinion, a little bit on the RPI, and just uh, I am in agreement with Dan. Is I, I felt like that is at least some control or something, something you can look at that was a hard number, and then people could look at it and say, "Oh, well, that's that way because your RPI." My concern is, is that we exist here in Montesano playing teams. A, that are a challenge, and if you listen to our prior broadcasts, good games, good competition. And I don't want that to go away. So I don't want us to be, hey, well, we got to go play a team that may be below us, but and we know we're going to win, and have it have them say, oh, we can't play you because uh, you're a 1A school. And we just cannot have that. We have to be able to compete with a 2A school. And, yes, we might lose, and we might go and we might – we might, but it's going to be a good game, and we're going to grow from it. We don't want that to punish us or have them be punished. Yeah, I think that's a really good observation, Tim. And again, the value of the association is to ferret all that mm -hmm. out together, mm -hmm. and to and to hammer it out and make sure that we're all on the same page so that we come out and make sense as an association. So, Tim, any uh, final comments? Well, yeah, I do have some final comments for you, Mike. Um, I, you know, um, we are in the kid business, and um, um, the executive director of the WIA is, I can't imagine a harder job. Um, you, we try to gain consensus in our leagues, and we try to gain consensus in our schools, and uh, you have to gain consensus with the students, uh, with superintendents, with schools, uh, legislators, uh, parents, and somehow you have to get everybody to get in the same boat. And uh, I would have to tell you, uh, you graded out uh, pretty high in my, my book. 
that was that was that's a tough tough job and you uh, are going to be missed and i just uh want you to know that i i appreciate that tim that means a lot thank you well we appreciate you coming down we have been very excited about this it's been you know on the calendar for a month or so and uh we're just thrilled that you would take the time to come down and i think that you have provided some answers for hopefully the two or three listeners that we have. <laughs> this may increase it, you know, yeah, yeah. a little statewide. Yeah, well, there you go. But thank you very much. And well, I, I concur with Tim yeah. that you've done an outstanding job and, and we'll miss you at the helm of the WIAA and wish you uh, a happy retirement. Thank you. And so I, I guess one more comment about that, Mike. So in that retirement, kind of give us a little bit of a picture of what that will look like. You know, um, um, for the last few months, uh, I've told people, like, I can see the sunset, but I haven't picked out the horse or the saddle. Uh, I'm kind of into picking out that horse right now. Uh, it's, I know that I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stay involved doing something. I don't know what it is. And I don't necessarily mean with the association. Mm-hmm. But my whole life has been around kids and schools. And I have a strong value I've, for that. I have two grandchildren who live in Monroe. Uh, I let my... My daughter and her husband keep those children, um, <laughs> but they know it's an iffy thing. I could take them at any time. Uh, but uh, uh, Jan and I will we're, are going to do a little traveling, uh, but we'll be involved um, to some degree. Jan's a former school board member. She's a development person. Um, we uh, we want to be able to to stay vital and stay involved and support the kids. Well, as you know, uh, I've never been short on giving my opinion, so I have some other ideas for you. Uh, one, how about being an official? Yeah, I could do that. Two, how about running for uh, a political office? Three, yeah. the Montesano School District Athletic Director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, just throwing some ideas out for you, Mike. I don't, uh, you don't have to take any of them, but we are in a major shortage of officials, so we need good people. Well, and, and that's how I got into this business. I was mm-hmm. a high school and college football and basketball official for a number of years. Uh, and that's one of the reasons, just one of the reasons your dad and I, Dan, connected so well is because we had that officiating background. Um, and I've told basketball coaches that I am going to get back into basketball officiating <laughs> just to say it. <laughs> uh, I don't think I could do it anymore. Well, you're always welcome in Montesano. So, uh, again, thanks so much for coming down. We really appreciate it. And I know our constituents do as well. Well, I appreciate the invitation. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Thanks.